Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking to Dan Darling. Dan's the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Seminary. He served in churches in Illinois and Tennessee, and he's also a best-selling author of several books, including best-selling. The Original Jesus. Best-selling. Yes, best-selling. Away with Words, and his latest, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides in Love as Jesus Loved. But before we talk to Dan, we want to remind you that if you are enjoying our interviews, leave us a review. Let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of Talbot School of Theology. You know, I know and love and appreciate Dan Darling uh, for a long time, so I'm excited to have him on the program. We also share a concern that the world has gone crazy. The world has gone a bit mad. Uh, Dan has actually written a couple things on this. It's kind of a, been a bit of a reoccurring theme for him, not none of those have been the best-selling books, though. The best-selling books have been on other topics. So, why, so let's talk about that, Dan, because, um, man, it's everybody tells me. As a matter of fact, I do this little seminar and I go through and I talk about the great sort that people are sorting themselves out of their churches ideologically when they mm-hmm. used to sort themselves out of their churches theologically. Presbyterians went to churches that baptized babies, and and you know, and mm-hmm. Pentecostals where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But now people are like, you know, I want a church that's going to fight the way I fight. The, the people I want to fight and more. So um, pretty divided time. Why do you think, Dan Darling, give us the diagnosis from there at the Land Center. Why do you think it's so divided right now? Well, I think what, what's happening in the church is a, is mirroring what's happening in the culture that uh, we're, we're in a very disruptive time. You know, uh, Mark Sayers, Australian pastor, has, I think, rightly said that this is a, sort of a gray zone where uh, there's so much disruption. Uh, you have the digital revolution, we just went through a pandemic, you have this rise of populism, all these sorts of things. Very similar to um, maybe the industrial revolution or the invention of the printing press. And that tends to to stir people up. And I think the church, you know, is not the only institution that is is going through this. But really, uh, you know, sadly, the Christians should actually be um, countercultural in this way, and that despite deep disagreements were able to unify around the things that matter. So this is really why I wrote this book. It's really to Christians, to the church to say, you know, unity matters. Uh, the way we talk about each other matters. Um, you know, what are the things that we should fight for? There are things that we should fight for, Christian orthodoxy. And there are other things that might be important, but not ultimate. Yeah, but but people like you are the reason the church is not fighting, is not <laughs> standing up. It's you're trying to teach people or persuade people that they should roll over, accept their their state in the new secular reality, and really right now what Christians need to do is to fight back. So, Dan Darling, why are you trying to persuade us not to fight back and stand up? Well, there are actually th- things worth fighting for. You know, I think about Paul. He says in 1 Timothy to, to, um, to Timothy, his young protege, he says, fight the good fight. So there is a fight worth having. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Similar to what Jude says, too, that we should contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. There's a body of truth that we should stand on, we should fight for, we should care about, we should present. Um, but then he then he says in 2 Timothy, uh, to, to Timothy again, avoid foolish and stupid arguments. So there are things worth fighting for, and there are things that are not worth fighting over. And I think part of the problem is, 
Christians today, when we're fighting over tertiary issues, we're spending all of our time and energy on those things. We actually take time and resources away from fighting for for really good and important and ultimate things. Yeah, uh, but so but, but, so but these but tertiary issues, who defines and what are? I maybe we need a list. Maybe you need a list of what's primary, what's secondary, yeah. what's tertiary. I mean, so there's the challenge. I mean, I, I think that people, and again, just so people are listening, I mean, Dan and I are pretty close. I think we're pretty close to being on the same page yeah. on what are things to fight for or not. But critics of Dan and Ed, uh, and, and and maybe critics of Daniel as well, uh, would say that the whole lot of things should be, be fighting for. One book talks about how, you know, pastors are, you know, kind of like like the pastors in Hitler's day. You're not speaking up on the these things. The culture's collapsing we're losing uh our our place in culture and I, I actually think we are losing our place in culture the question is how we respond so 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 why not fight on some of these other issues because right now man a whole lot of people are mobilized to fighting and you sort of seem to be and i would say people would say i sort of seem to be on the sideline saying this is not the best way to fight instead of joining the fight yeah i think it's it's not necessarily that we shouldn't fight it's like a how we fight and yeah. what what are we fighting for and um you know, there's a term called theological triage that's out there. It's sort of a term that's been around for about a decade. I don't think it's a new concept. I think Christians have been doing this for all of church history saying, okay, what are the top tier issues? What are secondary issues? What are tertiary issues? And I, I talk a, a little bit about that in my book and other people have uh, that there's this body of truth, Christian orthodoxy, you know, so the virgin birth of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, I would put biblical sexual ethics there because just because it's so woven through scripture it's not something that we have the authority to change but then there's secondary issues right the issues that you know baptists and presbyterians and anglicans we disagree on baptism we organize differently we go to church differently you know uh, you know uh but we agree on orthodoxy but then really there's these tertiary issues that even people in the same congregation theoretically should be able to disagree on right exactly how old the earth is or we all agree jesus is coming back but what the timeline is, and then even cultural things that we we may agree on a basic set of assumptions, but how we engage our world, uh, people have different callings and different approaches to that. And I think we're spending so much time fighting over tertiary things that we don't have time for the, the primary things. Like I, I have friends, Ed, and you probably do too, that I know that on the Venn diagram, they overlap quite a bit, almost completely. And yet they don't talk to each other because they have a disagreement about politics or you know, some other thing. And I just think that's tragic. I think, you know, if we are losing our place in the culture, this is the time to unify um, rather than divide. This is the time to be unified on what matters uh, rather than divide. It doesn't mean we we disengage from the culture. Uh, I actually think because we've been given a stewardship, we have a voice, we have a vote. Uh, if we're to love our neighbors ourselves, we, we should really care about the the environment in which our neighbors flourishing is affected. Um, I think because we have a share of power, I think Romans 13 applies not just to those in positions of authority, but those of us who put them there. Um, and then, you know, Jeremiah 29, if we seek the welfare of our city, I think we, we have a stake in it, but the way we do it matters and um, how we fight and what we fight for. If we spend all of our time on really, really petty things, we don't have time for the really important things. Dan, uh, can you help pastors leaders like analyze like the problem underneath the problem? So let's let's say for instance, like I mean, two years ago, CRT was a huge thing in churches, and pastors just couldn't understand for 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 the life of them why this issue not just became an issue, and they were trying to figure out why is this the issue, you know, in the church right now. 
But to me, it seems to be like that was like a problem that was revealing a deeper problem. And that is maybe some version of like churches just don't know how to navigate tension and communication. So mm-hmm. from your perspective, like wh- why is it that Christians are so divided and why is it so hard for them to address some of these you know, surface level problems? I don't want to say they're surface level, but yeah. the the symptomatic problems. Well, that's a great question. I think there's a number of reasons. I think number one, um, it's a spiritual discipleship issue is a formation issue that uh, we have so much content coming at us. We have so many digital inputs. We have to teach people how to manage their lives in a digital age. And in in many ways, it's a spiritual formation issue. What are we allowing into our minds to control us uh, Monday through Friday? Uh, Is it, is it uh, the spiritual disciplines? Is it, or is it our favorite pundits or politicians who are shaping the way we think? I think the second thing is there's, you know, a lot of our divides are not, I don't think, left-right as much as more maybe class divides, where I think you have you have a divide between maybe the leadership class and the, the laity, uh, blue-collar, white-collar. You know, some have called it, you know, the sort of laptop class, which we would be a part of, and the, the sort of, you know, average folks, whatever that means. Um, I think there's all sorts of those kinds of divisions, and, um, you know, really – they're exacerbated, I think, by media and other other platforms that have an incentive, a perverse incentive to, to divide us. I think good leadership um, is not dismissive of the concerns that people have. So you mentioned CRT. Um, that's an issue that is complicated and nuanced, but I think on one level, there there is a, a genuine, there was a genuine concern that there was an approach to sort of racial reconciliation, racial justice that might be more secular, not biblical, a sort of kind of anti-racism that, um, you know, if you read people like George Yancey and others who said, you know, this is not a great approach or there's a biblical approach. So people have concerns and then people kind of take that too far and any kind of attempt at racial reconciliation is seen as being woke or whatever. So good leaders, I think, navigate that and they hear they hear what their people are saying and try to listen to that rather than just be dismissive, but also kind of walk their people through that. I think you're seeing a similar thing today with, you know, some of the cultural pressures on um, LGBT issues and other things where uh, people really are frustrated with a sort of, they feel like they're surrounded by these institutions that are pushing something that they don't agree with, that they're pushing things on children in terms of education that they don't agree with. And so there's a pushback to that. And I think we have to equip people. I think it's good and right to try to shape our communities, shape our schools. But how we do that, do we represent Christ well in the way we're doing that? Um, it doesn't just matter what we say, but how we say it. So yeah, and I think these are complicated people, conversations. Yeah. You know? But then people start talking about being the tone police and, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's not work to be winsome hasn't worked. There's almost a war on winsome and. You know, Tim Keller yeah. led us astray with some of those ideas. <laughs> By the way, you, you just can't casually mention George Yancey because his mutual accountability approach is, is really helpful conversation. Awesome. And we really we is, had him yeah. earlier. We'll link to him in the show notes for this as well. Um, so so I guess the question is, is um is has is how do we approach these realities when the you know, it's not we we made a we talk about sexuality. This is a key area. People people are always unhappy with how you speak up on issues of sexuality. When I wrote that article for USA Today, uh, defending traditional sexual uh, beliefs, uh, you know, speaking about the Equality Act, I'm not sure if I wrote there or elsewhere, that it's the greatest threat to religious liberty in our lifetime. People were mad at me because I don't have the right tone. And 
Yet other people are mad at me because I don't have the right tone because I'm not, you know, yelling enough about this or that. Right. I mean, we live in a world where the cultural assumptions are changing. So how do we find uh, the right tone to speak up at the right time on the right things? Right, right. And again, we can put it anywhere you want, but the right things, the right time, the right tone all seem to matter. Sometimes the thing only people care about is tone. I mean, I get that because, you know, I'm and, and again, even if I even mention issues of, of marriage or sexuality or whatever it may be, they say your tone's bad. Well, no, this is the time to speak up. This is our time. As our friend Trevor Wax wrote his book, this is our time. This is our time to speak up on those issues. So right things, right time, right tone all seem to matter. That's not, by the way, in his book. I just sort of made that up. His book is Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Love. But it's a key theme in the book. So talk to us about that, Dan. Yeah, I mean, what you raise is really important. I mean, um, you know, kindness and and the way we speak is not necessarily a tactic. I think sometimes people say, well, we tried that. It doesn't work. Let's try something else. Really, it's more of a command. And I, one of my life verses, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter says, on the one hand, have an answer for every person for the hope that lies within you. So Christians should not hold back from having answers to the questions of the age. I mean, the questions people are asking today, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? Um, all these kinds of things. And the church is privileged really to present an alternative way from the way that people are hearing from the the culture. Uh, people are exhausted and tired. They've, they've tried these things and they're not working. And the church has to be one to welcome sort of refugees from the sexual revolution, but also present an alternate way, a, a better way for flourishing. But then Peter also says, do this with gentleness and kindness. So we should be distinctive, not just in what we're presenting, but in, in the way we're doing it. And, you know, tone can kind of be subjective in some ways. Um, I think, you know, having um, substantive, robust arguments back and forth are are good and right. That doesn't mean you're you're unkind if you disagree with someone, if you're if you're saying, hey, this is a dangerous idea or if I disagree with this um, at the same time, you know, we do see even the people we disagree with as image bearers. And so the way that we think about them and 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 then I think the way we talk about other Christians, this is what I'm really concerned about in in this book, the way we speak to and about other Christians matters. I, I'm I'm distressed sometimes when you see a public disagreement with between Christians, which is normal and not unusual and not bad, but the but the sort of going personal. And I just want to stop and say, do you realize that's a brother in Christ? Yeah, you disagree with them. Mm -hmm. uh, you present a, a different argument. That's great. Can you treat them with love? You know, Jesus said that the world will know that you are, we are his, by the way, we, we love each other. You know, Francis Schaeffer is a great example. You know, he, great apologist in the 20th century, was not afraid to speak truth to the culture, was not afraid to be prophetic to the church. Nevertheless, one of his final books is called The Mark of a Christian, and he talks about Christian unity. And he says that the God gives the world the right to judge the validity of our faith by the way we treat each other. In other words, the world should look in on Christians and say, I don't understand what they believe. They have some crazy ideas. You know, this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth is the king of the world. I don't get that. But man, look at the way they treat each other. They have no business loving each other. They have no business belonging together, and yet here they do. So yeah, it is. It is interesting to me that um, in all the ways I've interacted with media now, blogs are you know you, you know that some people just blog and you read that blog and you just tell by their even the way they write that they can't be you know they got an agenda. Um, and I've been 
my, in my view, I would have been misrepresented once in what we'd call secular, even mm-hmm. main, I mean, I, I might be quoted or, you know, or, or, but not, not find myself where I like, you know, I, they just intentionally misrepresented one time in the New York times. And, um, and I, I even talked to the person about it, et cetera, et cetera. They had a different view. Um, in Christian media, on the other hand, I have uh, found that, uh, that it's multiple times and really intentionally. So mm-hmm. you, and you see it, right? So you see there's an a, agenda with it and, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's part of it. Now I recognize that part of that is I'm speaking in and debating in the Christian space. I, I don't want to be, um, I'm not uncriticizable, not a real word, but we'll make it up. Um, I think people can rightly critique uh, these things, but but I think uh, again, I think it's uh, the the honesty really does matter, and how we speak of others really does matter as well. But I'd also say too that we got to be, I got to be careful too. And I, I talked to I've, we we've talked about this conversation before, where you if you're going to speak up on whatever issue it is, um, can't just punch to the right. You got to punch, um, and again, maybe punch is the wrong term, but punch right, punch left. Uh, there are things, and again, I, I, I would challenge people to kind of look at my writing and see when I speak up on different issues. But what happens is it's sometimes people only read one side of the argument or the debate mm-hmm. that you have. Anyway, so we're coming up, you can tell, and I've talked too much and and partly because I'm passionate about this issue. Uh, again, I wrote Christians in the Age of Outrage in this sort of same space. And so I really do appreciate Dan's writing. Again, it's Agents of Grace, How to Build Bridges and Love as Jesus Loved. But Dan, you're, an election's coming. You, you mm-hmm. are um, running after perhaps an impossible thing. Uh, in this moment. So how does this fit uh, in the times of the election? How do we approach divisions among God's people? Well, first, I want to address what you said. I, I do think Christians should give each other the benefit of the doubt. One of the yeah. things that that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that characterizes love is love believes all things. doesn't mean we should be naive or not have accountability, but we shouldn't assume malice on the other part of a person. We should represent each other honestly. And when that doesn't happen among Christians, I think it's, I think it's a violation of, of the law of love. I think it's, it's, it's a sin when people do that. Um, so we could be criticized, but we should be criticized correctly. Um, talking about the election, yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of pastors who are nervous about the election because they're nervous about how, what it's going to do to their churches. I think pastors need to be proactive. I think the first thing pastors need to do is not not pretend it's not happening. So I think they need to address it in their congregation and say, hey, we live in this great country. God's given us this great opportunity. We should exercise our vote and our voice. Here's how we should conduct ourselves as Christians. I also think pastors should talk about key issues. Like, here are some issues that Christians have to believe. Um, and then here are some other things where good Christians disagree. And, you know, here's some, here's what the scripture says about these things. I, I don't think pastors should endorse or they should be overt that way. I think that just kind of hurts their, their standing and their witness in, in many ways. Um, and then I also think we should teach our people, pastors need to teach the people, like, how do I steward my citizenship? How do I handle this? And really preach and teach in the season on Christian unity and say, look, we're going to have people in our congregation that are going to be for or against different candidates. That's great. That's fine. That's what we get to do as Americans. Let's remember that what we have in Christ is more important. And let's, let us not let a politician or a pundit or a party or a platform, whatever, divide us. So you're going to have people who are sitting in the other pew that might vote differently, or they might they might, because of their calling, they might exercise their politics differently, right? So I have a friend who's a senator who 
he has to be a party man. He has to speak out on a lot of issues. I have friends who are pastors who pastor diverse congregations. The pastor might look at the senator and say, man, why is he so partisan? Uh, but that's his. That's sort of his calling. The, the, the senator might look at the pastor and say, man, I wish he sp- spoke up more. We have to respect each other's callings too, right? Some are called to more quiet lives uh, that are um, you know, local. Some are called to do talk about national things. So I, I think pastors have to be proactive and say, this is something that could divide us. Let's not let it divide us. Here's how we should think about this. I think a part of that, Dan, is the pastor's ability to help uh, members root themselves in something uh, bigger and transcendent than their social identities. And I mean, you lead the land center there, uh, and most of your work is around cultural engagement. But I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know bring you back to the days when you were pastoring at the local level. As we look towards uh, the things like the 2024 election, what can pastors do to remind uh, members to root themselves in their biblical identity? Because the the temptation to root yourself primarily in your social identity is huge. Mm-hmm. Like identity politics isn't just a liberal thing. It happens on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And so h- how would you admonish and encourage pastors in the next year and a half to continuously prepare their church members to root themselves in a more transcendent identity? I think it's all about priorities, you know, and and teaching people what are the priorities. I think you can make two mistakes. I think one mistake is to be to be the church that's overly identified and overly partisan saying you have to be this. I think the opposite mistake. In fact, I think most of our churches are on the opposite ends that are so pietistic that people don't really know how to handle politics because pastors afraid to pastors afraid to touch it. And I think we have to talk about priorities. Um you know, we we can and should participate in our democracy. I think it's fine for Christians to be part of a party to say this is where my values land me and I identify here. But understand that you know that's not my ultimate identity. So we hold those things loosely. So if you are part of a party and you're active that way, just always knowing there's going to be some dissonance between your movement, your earthly movement in the kingdom of God. You should always be a little uncomfortable, even if that's where you best locate yourself. So people know how to handle that. I think sometimes saying, you know, don't be Republican or Democrat, you know, party of the party of the lamb, not party of the the donkey, the elephant. I mean, I agree with that in some sense, but I think sometimes that doesn't really equip people to go and live and operate in our, in our system and be active. So I think it's more of a, what are rank these things? You know, you can be too pietistic and not be engaged at all, which I don't think is helpful. You can also be like Jonah and put your party or your your country above the kingdom of God, and that's that's a sin as well. And so, t- teaching these people where to have these in balance and what what influences uh, affect us. You know, my friend Michael Ware says that we should look a, at a political party not as a home base but a mission field, and I like that. So say I'm gonna I'm gonna enter into this arena because I want to help shape the society, but I'm gonna go in there as a missionary. In other words, my ultimate identity is not as a Republican or Democrat; it's as a a Christian, as a member of the body of Christ. Hmm. And I, I think I, I like that. I think the the tricky part is is how to speak up on certain issues and when and not speak up on other issues. Again, just a reminder: when the title of the book is uh, is Ages of Grace: How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. Um, so, and I'm pressing you a little bit. It's not, it's, there's not a chapter of the book on this, but you are at the land center. You write and speak on these issues and you advise pastors on these issues worth noting 
that uh, that Dan and I are both more public commentators than local church pastors. You know, I'm teaching pastor mm-hmm. at Mariner's Church and serves his local church. But uh, I would say first, uh, do as I say, not as I do, because if I was primarily a local church pastor, I might speak up on different issues, but I wouldn't not speak up. So here's so here's the heart of my question. I just talked about this uh, at the, the the podcast, the Thinking Biblically podcast that we do at Talbot. So we'll link to that in the show notes is they asked me about the place of Christians and politics. And part of what my question is, is what do you mean by politics? So mm-hmm. like if I talk about like I like I believe that uh, I'm deeply thankful for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Uh, now, again, I went from Illinois to California. Roe v. Wade did nothing but radicalize the overturn of Roe v. Wade did nothing but radicalize our abortion laws. So I'm still there trying to persuade, you know, they, they pass, pass even more radical abortion laws. Um, but I do speak up on issues of life. And matter of fact, I, I think that we need to change laws to uh, to protect the unborn. So that's inherently, I mean, making of laws is inherently political. Um, I think that we, I, I want to speak up for a just immigration policy, right? So I'm a signer of the evangelical immigration table, right? We talk about we need to secure the border. How do we do that? That's a political question. We talk about uh, how to how how to care for how to, and how to speak of and how to engage immigrants and refugees and more. Those are all political issues. All of those have political dimensions. So I guess the question is, if I'm not supposed to talk about politics, what's politics and what's biblical teaching? Because I would put how we respond to the unborn. I would think a fair and just society, uh, issues of of race and justice immigrants and refugees, I would say issues of sexuality and gender. I mean, these are all biblical issues that have become politicized. So how do you advise pastors or church leaders, our audience, to address those or not through the pulpit? Well, I think pastors especially have to really be wise at doing triage here, just where you do like with with cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, where there are some, and I think, you know, our mutual friend, Jonathan Lehman, says is there's jagged lines and straight lines. I think that's an interesting way of putting it where, like you said, there's some issues that I think just cry out from the biblical text, right? I mean, uh, the sanctity of life, what what we believe marriage is, what what men and women are, uh, you know, racism, all those, all those things. But then there's other issues that, that we might agree on the central issue. Uh, we all should agree that we need to do more to help the poor. We might disagree on the the best mechanism to lifting up the poor. Good Christians might disagree on what is prudent. Or I think we would all agree that having access to healthcare is important for for the vulnerable. But we might disagree on how do you, how do you get there? You know, what level is it? Government is it private? Is it a mix? So just having the discipline to say here are the here are the things where it's like thus saith the Lord. Here are other things where you know good Christians are going to disagree on this. And maybe if you're a specialist in your field. As a member of our church, you're going to have a little bit more to say on it and more opinionated on some of these things. Economics is another issue. Um, but being willing to hold those things a little bit more loosely than these top things. Pastors really need to guard their voices, I think, though, and speak with authority on the areas where the Bible speaks with authority, but resist being a, you know, people don't come to church on Sunday. They don't need another pundit right? They hear that Monday through Friday. They need a pastor. They need a shepherd. They need to hear a word from the Lord. They need to hear a word from the Lord that relates to their um, everyday lives. They need to hear a word from the Lord that helps them to live Monday through Friday uh, in a world that involves politics, but they don't need a pastor to be a pundit. And I think you, you kind of dilute your witness. Look, the gospel, I believe, is political. It's not partisan. The, You know, when the first century church was declaring that 
Jesus is Lord. They were saying that Caesar is not Lord. Right. When they were refusing to participate in the cult practice of the Greco-Roman Empire, they were saying they were resisting. I mean, so it's the gospel's inescapably political, but I don't think we should be excessively partisan in the way we present ourselves, particularly if you're pastoring a church, particularly if you're shepherding people and uh, a diverse group of people, um, if that makes sense. Dan, I want to, I want to play to maybe your strength as a cultural commentator and, and as you lead at the land center there, um, because part of this is also helping pastors think about what's coming around the corner. I, I don't love the language around culture wars, uh, but I'll use it just to kind of get the point across. Um, but you know, the whole language around, wartime presidents and peacetime presidents like yeah. what what is your sense you know for the next few years like what's the posture of pastors um as they're thinking about some of the impending things that are happening um you know is it wartime is it peacetime i mean a little bit of both like what what are your thoughts yeah i i i mean on the one hand i think pastors really need to help equip their people how to live in this age people are being inundated with all these messages i think particularly on you know, the sort of LGBT issues. It's just, it's just, we're just surrounded by it. And I think people are being formed and shaped by it. So we have to be clear about what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Also how we should conduct ourselves and not with sort of a fear and uh white knuckling it, but as people who have been made for this moment, that God has not made a mistake with the mission field he's given, he's put us in, you know, if the apostles like Peter and Paul could say to live with joy and conviction. And these are men who went to their deaths for preaching the gospel. I think we can do that as well. On the other hand, I think we need pastors who are embody what Mark Sayers says is a non-anxious presence. People who can bring stability and calm uh, to their congregations in, in a way that's that's biblical. You know, the, the term culture wars, I don't love because, you know, sometimes it's used pejoratively. And look, there are people who are culture warriors who make a big deal big deal out of stupid things, right? So there is a kind of a culture warring that is just looking for a fight. But there's another aspect of it where, where you know, society moves these dramatic shifts and Christians say, you know, that might not be a good idea. And it's like, oh, you guys are culture warriors. You know, like, you know, we've redefined marriage. We've redefined what it means to be male and female. Um, and Christians who say, you know... <laughs> This is probably not good for for society. Maybe we should not do this. Maybe we should not let our kids do this to this. And so they're branded culture wars. So I think we have to be, you know, we have to pick the right fights. But I'm always a little nervous when people always decry the culture wars. It's like, well, at what level are you willing to resist the culture? You know, so it's a complicated thing. But at the same time, I don't think we should be picking dumb fights and stupid fights, right? Yeah, and I, th I think that mix is a key part of the whole reality. There it does require a sense of discernment. And I want to encourage you that one of the places to gain and grow in that discernment is actually Dan's book. And let me finally give you one last mention of it. It's called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. Daniel? Yeah, you know, maybe last question, Dan, as we get ready to sign off here. A lot of pastors have navigated a really difficult three years, uh, mm -hmm. seen a lot of division, a lot of people leave, a lot of church refugees, both sent some out, received some in. Um, and a lot of them are maybe, you know, towards the end of their their time, at least they feel that. How, how, how do they stay encouraged, especially going into, as as we talked about, an election season? How do they fight cynicism mm. during this time? That's good. 
Yeah, I really worry about pastors like you. I've heard from a lot. You know, it the last four or five years have been hard, and um, you know, Christians fighting over really non-essential things and really dividing churches, whether it's COVID or other things. Um, but I do think we have to fight cynicism. I have a whole whole chapter in the book on that. And I think, and Ed, you and I have talked about this offline and online, but to me, I almost feel like cynicism has become a cottage industry, even among evangelicals, where um look, we've we've had a lot of scandals in the church. We've had leaders fall. We've got a mess in our own house that we have to clean up. We we don't want to sweep that under the rug. But if we're not careful, we'll be sort of catechized by bad headlines. Yeah. And, you know, faithfulness doesn't make the headlines. So if we're not careful, we'll think that maybe God isn't doing anything today, that maybe God's best days are behind him, that Christ is not building his church, that the spirit is not regenerating um, people to salvation. And the truth is he is. And I, I really think about the 60s and 70s. I I, I watched the Jesus uh, movement uh, movie a few months ago, and I was really encouraged. Think about the 60s and 70s. You had Vietnam, you had Woodstock, you had three assassinations, you had racial tension, Watergate. Even had Jimmy Carter basically give up on the country and have the Malay speech, um, which didn't mention Malays, by the way. Um, here comes the Jesus movement that nobody saw coming. And so I think we have to lift our eyes up and say, yes, times are tough. Times are bad. People are divided. But what is God doing amongst us? Um, is God at work amongst? And I really think he is. I think I'm encouraged by, you know, the sort of revival movements at Asbury and other places, students crying out to God. Uh, if we're not careful, we'll be so invested in cynicism. We'll be so invested in decline narratives. We'll be so invested in everything's terrible. Evangelicals are terrible. The church is terrible that we won't, we'll miss what God is doing. And I'm not saying we should be Pollyanna. I don't think we should have our head in the sand, but I don't, I just don't think cynicism is a spiritual gift. Um, God is not up in heaven, wringing his hands over the things that we are wringing our hands over. Um, He has called us to this age. He has made us for this moment. um, And we can live with joy uh, and conviction. We've been talking to Dan Darling. Be sure to check out his new book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. You can learn more about him at dandarling.com. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, leave us a review. Uh, that'll help other ministry leaders find and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.